The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Turkeys are turkeys. Sure, you might shell out for a rare breed heritage bird or a pre-salted kosher turkey. You might even brine it or swaddle it in cheesecloth. But most everyone who celebrates the country's great holiday, vegetarians and mainly turkey friars accepted, roasts a turkey come Thanksgiving and Christmas. But stuffing, or dressing as it's called by some, is special. Equally essential to the holiday table, it's a far more expressive medium than turkey. Its bland base of bread or rice invites embellishment, both traditional and irreverent. And in dressing recipes, sausage, nuts, fruit, mushrooms, and shellfish combine in countless permutations. In contrast to the more predictable turkey, Stuffing is the frisky, occasionally outlandish personality of the holiday table. We're exploring the history and origins of stuffing. Welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. This is a bonus episode of the podcast I like to call the Seasons Eatings Side Dish. We're focusing on dishes that don't usually get the spotlight during the holidays. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcast. Seasons Eatings is also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love the show, then I humbly ask you to share this podcast with someone you think would love to hear more about the history of Christmas and the foods which shape the holiday we love so much. If you want to give me suggestions for future episodes, just email me at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. All the links can be found in the show notes at seasonseatingspodcast.com. A staple of any holiday table, stuffing is one of the most popular side dishes for American holiday dinners. But did you know that stuffing has been popular since the first century? But first things first. According to most scholars, stuffing is what goes inside the bird. Dressing is a seasoned savory bread casserole that is baked separately. Although Experts are not clear on when or where stuffing was first made. The first recorded history of the dish comes from Apicius de Cochineria, a Roman collection of popular recipes from the first century AD. These recipes frequently mixed spelt, a type of early wheat used to make breads, spices, herbs, and vegetables, which was then stuffed into a variety of animals. In particular, the Romans favored stuffed chicken, rabbit, or pigs for their everyday meals. But during special occasions, the Romans turned to their favorite delicacy, 
edible dormouse. Today, dormouse is still considered a delicacy throughout Slovenia and in certain areas of Croatia. In the only surviving classical cookbook, Apicius proposes stuffing sardines, squid, dormice, hares, and chickens. The book's recipe for gardener-style pig, Porcellum hortulanum, shows stuffing at its most Byzantine, a pig's body stuffed with the canals of chicken, force meat, finely cut thrushes, fig peckers, little pork sausages, Lucanian sausage, stone dates, edible bulbs, unshelled snails, leeks, beets, celery, cook sprouts, coriander, whole pepper, nuts, egg, and broth. And you thought turduckins were elaborate. Europeans, particularly the French, embraced the Roman idea of stuffing meat with meat, which led them to the most Baroque examples of charcuterie, the galantine, in which a large piece of a boned-out animal, usually a boar's head or a whole chicken, was stuffed with the meat paste known as force meat, then usually glazed with an opaque chaud froid sauce. Along these lines, Escoffier, who published Le Guide Culinaire, the canonical guide to modern French cooking in 1903, had a decidedly fancy approach to stuffed turkey. Bone out the young turkey as for a galantine, and stuff it with very good sausage meat mixed with a quarter deciliter of brandy per one kilo of sausage meat, plus some large dice of ham or bacon or dice of raw truffle. Place a very small and very red ox tongue wrapped in slices of salt pork fat in the center of the stuffing. It seems the impulse to surprise the diner with a hidden treat is fundamental. At the risk of sounding crude, pretty much any animal cavity was, and still is, an invitation for the cook to fill it. Stuffing remained a popular dish past the Roman Emperor, and has gathered several names over the centuries, including farce from the 14th century, force meat from the 17th century, and most recently the 19th century term dressing. The recipe has also gone through many different renditions, depending on which culture it appears in, resulting in there being a large debate over what a true traditional stuffing consists of. Farce is still the word for stuffing in French, up until stuffing replaced it in the 16th century. That was its English name too. The word forcemeat has the same root. And the word's resemblance to the genre of comedy is more than just a coincidence. Both words started out as a Latin farcire, which meant, unsurprisingly, to stuff. The edible farce was filler for a roast, and the theatrical farce started out as improvisational padding in French religious dramas, when the actors were expected to ham it up for laughs. The evidence for the filler is right on your table. You could argue that no other holiday staple better reflects the nation's diversity than the side dish known as stuffing. Variations abound, and they venture well beyond the choice of bread, white, uh, corn, or even Petridge Farm, and even beyond such decisions as whether to add oysters or giblets. Americans can't even agree on a name or preparation. Some call it stuffing, and bake it inside the turkey, except when they don't, and others call it dressing and bake it in a casserole, except when they don't. 
Few stuffings or dressings are as identifiable with a region and culture as potato filling is with the Pennsylvania Dutch. But other regional stuffings do exist, even if family migrations, food media, and other factors have conspired to erase the boundaries that once limited these dishes to certain geographic areas. In New England, cooks rely on Bell's seasoning to flavor their stuffing. In Minnesota, they prepare a stuffing with wild rice, the aquatic grass that grows abundantly in the state. And in New Mexico, they make a cornbread stuffing with hatch chilies. Perhaps more than any other dish, stuffing underscores Thanksgiving's complicated relationship with tradition. As children, we were often told that the holiday's central feast, a bronze turkey with all the trimmings, could trace its origins back to 1621, when colonists and Wampanoag people first gathered around the table. Only later did we learn that the autumnal meal was largely cobbled together and promoted by other folks, included a 19th century writer and editor who pushed to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. I talk about how turkeys became one of the nation's most treasured holiday foods in my podcast from December of last year. Throughout this century of cookbooks, the definition of stuffing appears more or less unchanged. It is always used to refer to a force meat breadcrumb mixture or other preparation used to fill openings in meat. Whether the space left by a bone removed from a roast or the cavity of a poultry or fish or the filling for a roulade. We've been putting stuffing in our turkeys since at least 1803. This is a recipe for stuffing from Susanna Carter, the author of The Frugal Housewife or Complete Woman Cook, printed in 1803. A turkey, when roasted, is generally stuffed in the craw with forced meat or the following stuffing. Take a pound of veal, as much grated bread, half a pound of suet cut and beat very fine, a little parsley with a small matter of thyme or savory, two cloves, half a nutmeg grated, and a teaspoonful of shred lemon peel, a little pepper and salt, and the yolks of two eggs. Bread stuffing probably never appeared at the first Thanksgiving, though cooks at the time probably stuffed fowl with nuts, oats, onions, and herbs. More than 200 years later, in 1829, New England author and abolitionist Lydia Maria Child published The Frugal Housewife, one of the first American cookbooks to target households without servants. In her section on turkey, Child suggests a stuffing of either pounded crackers or crumbled bread, with salt pork and sage or sweet marjoram, perhaps bound with an egg to make the dish easier to cut. We'll find out how we move from stuffing to dressing after the break. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. 
You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. On the Snow and Southtown Christmas podcast, we discuss Christmas movies, Christmas music, and we have fun segments where we always talk about something weird and something fun related to Christmas on each episode. If we're tired of making fun of Michael Bublé, I might recommend Pentatonics. I'm not going to play you two on this, on this podcast. Thank you. He's eating ice cream and crunch taters. He's just partying, man. Thank God it's them instead of you, right? I was going to say he was rolling over in his grave, but I don't think he's dead. But Well, he's still doing it. When he heard Patty LaBelle, he <laughs> dug his grave and he rolled him. <laughs> How about 10s and 20s? 10s and 20s. Be sure to check out our website at snowandsouthtown.wordpress.com, where you'll find links to our Facebook, our Twitter, and our Discord. Uh, yeah, I'd like the tiny tots, please. You need a, <laughs> some small tater tots? Yeah, yeah, your tiny tots. He told them the whole time. They know one beagle. Fire that up. Speaking my language now. You can stream our podcast at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else you get your podcast. It's a problematic movie. Yeah, we should pee together at least once per decade, really. He is Dallas Snow Sato because he's He's jingling those bells. bells. Some jingling them bells. Jingle those bells. Look what you did, you little jerk. Check out Snow in Southtown. You won't regret it. And by won't, I mean will. Dressing has a far more interesting history. Up until 1850, the word dressing was rarely used as a noun. Instead, cookbook authors used it as a verb roughly equivalent to preparing. Hence, Maria Eliza Kettleby Rundle's 1807 New System of Domestic Cookery contains instructions for an excellent mode of dressing beef that consists only of cooking technique. Hang three ribs three or four days, take out the bones from the whole length, shrinkle it with salt, roll the meat tight, and roast it. Nothing can look nicer. The above done with spices and baked as hunter's beef is excellent. When dressing appears as a noun, it is used to refer to salad dressing, as in, common dandelion is said to be very good. It may be eaten as a salad with the usual dressing. Then, in 1850, Miss Beecher published the book that changed the country forever. I'm referring, of course, to Catherine Esther Beecher's Miss Beecher's Domestic Receipt Book, designed as a supplement on her treatise on domestic economy from 1846. Here, for the first time of the sample of cookbooks I examined, were references to dressing that were essentially interchangeable for what had been called stuffing. To roast a fillet or leg of veal. Cut off the shank bone of a leg of veal and cut gashes in what remains. Make a dressing of chopped raw salt pork, salt pepper, sweet herbs, and bread crumbs. Or use butter instead of pork. Stuff the openings in the meat with the dressing. Put it in the bake pan with water, just enough to cover it, and let it bake, say, two hours for six pounds. The verb is still to stuff but the various animals are being stuffed with dressing. In subsequent cookbooks throughout the rest of the 19th century, 
The two terms were interchangeable when referring to what gets put inside the meat. Some authors favored one or the other, but most used both in the same work without any concern for any kind of technical distinction between the two. Writing in 1873, Marion Harlan doesn't hesitate to use both terms in the same recipe, in this case, for a roast turkey. First, prepare a dressing of breadcrumbs, mixed with butter, pepper, salt, thyme or sweet marjoram, and wet with hot water or milk. You may, if you like, add the beaten yolks of two eggs. A little chopped sausage is steamed in improvement when well incorporated with the other ingredients. Or mince a dozen oysters and stir into the dressing. And if you are partial to the taste, wet the breadcrumbs with oyster liquor. But on the next line in that very same mixture is a stuffing. Stuff the craw with this and tie a string tightly about the neck to prevent the escape of the stuffing. Either the difference between dressing and stuffing didn't exist in the pronounced manner presumed by serious eats in the 19th century, or authors of cookbooks at the time were not so persnickety about terminology. Interestingly, the use of dressing to refer to a meat filling seemed to have peaked during the 1870s. After that, while the word dressing appears even more frequently in cookbooks, it is almost always has to do with salad dressings. And it's still used in the filling sense. Stuffing continues to be used to refer to stuffing, but recipes seem to be less common. Perhaps by the turn of the 20th century, Americans were growing fond of lighter eating, trading oyster stuffed roast for greens touched with vinegar. Corporate America would eventually worm its way into the holiday dinner, offering the ease of convenience, that mid-20th century buzzword that would give rise to stuffing products such as Petridge Farm and Stovetop, among others. Numerous people said they grew up on stuffing made with Petridge Farm mixes. Of course, plenty of cooks today, including me, don't actually stuff our turkeys. Food safety guidelines recommend cooking your stuffing inside the bird until everything is 165 degrees, which will surely overcook your turkey breast, and you'll more than likely wind up with a soggy, pudding-like stuffing concoction. I like to get my bird in and out of the oven as quickly as possible, and packing it with stuffing slows things down. The stuffing, or dressing as we call it, is a little bit different from my home province of Newfoundland. We use summer savory in our dressing. Summer savory is a traditional popular herb in Atlantic Canada where it's used in the same way sage is elsewhere. It is the main flavoring in dressing for many fowl mixed with ground pork or other basic ingredients to create a thick meat dressing known as crétinade, which may be eaten with turkey, goose, and duck. It is also used to make stews such as a fricot and in meat pies. It is usually available year-round in local grocery stores in dried form and is used in varying proportions, sometimes added to recipes in large, generous heaping spoonfuls, and sometimes more subtly as in beans, which savory has a natural affinity. Summer savory is a characteristic ingredient in herbs de Provence, which is also widely used as a seasoning for grilled meats and barbecues, as well as in stews and sauces. 
Summer savory is preferred over winter savory for its use in sausage because of its sweeter, more delicate aroma. Newfoundlanders love their savory. We really love it in our dressing used for stuffing turkeys and chickens for roasting. Unlike some complicated turkey stuffing recipes, Newfoundland's savory dressing is quite simple to make, really. Combining fresh breadcrumbs, homemade white bread is best, with minced onion, some melted butter, dried savory, and possible a little salt and pepper. Almost as popular as savory, in fact, is savory dressing, which you'll find elsewhere besides in the roasted bird. A signature Newfoundland dish is the ever-popular fries or chips, dressing and gravy, which can be found at most any restaurant and takeout, stadium or chip truck. The dish, when prepared right, consists of a pile of golden homemade french fries, double fried of course, combined with fluffy savory dressing and smothered with a rich homestyle chicken gravy, darkened with gravy browning. French Canadians have their poutine, other places have chili cheese fries, but our carb-laden heart attack on a plate is the most satisfying and tastiest, in my opinion. Stripped of its original cavity filling, juice-sopping purpose, stuffing is forced to justify its existence with other vivid flavors. Cooking sites and magazines have responded with portmanteau stuffings that can't say no to a flavor. Spiced raisin pumpkin bread and mushroom stuffing, or cornbread stuffing with bacon, sweet potatoes, greens, and pecans. Personally, I adhere to a stuffing rule of three. Three distinctive ingredients beyond the basics are okay, as long as they are harmonious. Beyond that, it's too much. But then again, in the Apician tradition, is there really such a thing as too much? Regardless of which side you're on, one thing we can all agree on is that this iconic dish is delicious, and a turkey day table isn't complete without it. Seasons Eatings has created some great items for your holiday gift giving. We have shirts, mugs, tote bags, and more. Just click on the Merchandise tab at SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this serving of the Seasons Eatings side dish. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Deezer, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you've let me know you've left a review... I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you, so send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. I know we all get busy, so even sharing the podcast with someone you love would be a great help. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. All music used on the podcast is under the Creative Commons license.